Welcome to COVID-19, the Unwanted Visitor, a podcast hosted by the Caribbean Tourism Organization's Communications Specialist, Johnson John Rose. In each episode, you'll hear from a different expert on the new challenges facing us in the Caribbean tourism industry. A recent survey by George Washington University done in collaboration with the Caribbean Tourism Organization found that three quarters of CTO member countries have either completed or virtually completed a COVID-19 recovery plan. Now, two out of every three countries foresee integrating sustainability practices or initiatives into their recovery planning. Now, joining us on this episode is Selene Matos. She's the Executive Director of the International Institute of Tourism Studies at the GWU School of Business. And she tells us that one of the most interesting findings is that only 7% of CTO and Greater Caribbean countries have implemented price caps on basic consumptions during this pandemic. And she says this might be a very good practice for other countries to follow if they are faced with shortages of essential goods. So thank you, Selene, for joining us. Uh, you've, you've done that survey, as I said, sort of trying to gauge where our countries were in terms of preparedness for something like COVID-19. Not only that, but the response to it. Let's first of all explore how many countries involved in that survey and what they've been telling you in terms of of crisis management plan. Sure, and good morning, Johnson. Um, It's lovely to be here to share the findings of um, what we consider a sort of very important survey that gives these insights about how our national tourism organizations have been preparing, were prepared for and responding to COVID-19. So the survey went out a few weeks ago um, and we have had um, a fantastic response. And I just, I think this definitely is a testament um, to how serious uh, the CTO member states are taking the opportunity to sort of share their insights and then to also understand what the bigger snapshot is um, at a regional level. So we've had, um, of all the 24 member states, we've had a 58% response rate. So 14 of the 24 countries um, have weighed in and provided insights um, on the survey. The survey, as you mentioned, um, looks looked at different areas. It looked at um, how prepared they were, um, their operations during the crisis. So a lot of good insights as to like what they're doing, working on now or have been working for the past eight weeks or so. And then um, looking into the future, giving us some sense of how far along they are with their recovery planning um, and things that they consider important to include in those plans to give us a sense of um, how the national tourism organizations are in fact using this uh, unique opportunity to maybe reset for a better future. So um, yeah, so the response rate was um, 58%. So 14 of the 24 member states um, responded. Um, And of the respondents, uh, we found that um, 87%, which is equivalent to 13 countries, had a crisis management in place before the outbreak. Um, okay, of- so, but, but what is interesting and wonderful, normally, you know, we have a crisis management or communication plan. I recall the last survey that I did 
uh, among all member countries, just a very quick survey included how many of you have got a crisis communication plan, and uh, several of them came back. Uh, I think two thirds, well over two thirds, came back and said we had a crisis communication plan. And the, the follow-up question was, how many of you actually use it? And uh, the number was a really very big fat zero. Actually, <laughs> put it in place and rehearse it Not and good. rehearse it. So you know, so now that's better right now because when I did that survey, that was um, well over a year ago. So mm -hmm. we, we've seen a lot better in that regard and I was not seeing every member country because not everyone responded. So in terms of this crisis management plan, first of all, uh, how many of these covered health issues because you, you were looking at COVID, how many covered health issues and how many of them critically said, yes, we dust this thing off the shelf and actually put it into practice? Great questions. Um, so the response to the first question, which is of uh, those countries that had a crisis management uh, plan prior to the global pandemic, 69% um, said that their plan did in fact include health crises um, and pandemics. So it, it did address um, this important area. Um, and it's interesting because of th those countries that uh, said that they did not have a plan, um, we did try to find out then, so how have you managed through this period without a plan? And um, it's uh, pretty interesting that they have used, um, or they immediately actually um, kicked into high gear and look to develop very rapid business continuity plans, um, as well as started to think about recovery already. So, you know, those that didn't have a plan, I think understood that the scale of this event was quite unprecedented and so that they needed to um, quickly uh, think about uh, how it is that they would respond to this. And so um, they were working on a plan as uh, they were going along, it sounds like. Now, of those countries that did have a plan, um, so that was the 69% uh, of respondents that did have a plan, their, um, their views about how useful the plans were, were quite mixed. Um, so I think that correlates a bit with what you've just said, yeah? The aspect that um, was, I think, that popped top of list as we looked at how they spoke about the utility of these plans is that in this unprecedented situation where communications was such a critical part of that sort of immediate response, those plans were useful for that. So they had some sense of like, well, you know, how is it that we will actually um, gear up um, in order to bring in sort of the, the information, relevant information so from our health agencies um, and other key partners to be able to share with um, stakeholders at large. So it's interesting that there were mixed views. Like some said, the scale of this situation is so unprecedented that what we have in that plan was quite useless. Others said, 
that parts of the communications plans outlined in their crisis management plan was um, somewhat useful. So there's a mixed bag there, but it shows that, um, yeah, some of the countries did use it um, as a starting point. If, if, um, is, as that, a starting does point. That, is that suggest, if that suggests, um, Selene, that some of these plans probably need to be updated then? Absolutely. And I think they recognize this too. Um, when, you know, as, as we kind of continue the conversation and maybe look into the future to, um, to recovery plans, uh, to the recovery planning um, efforts, you will see that there is some mention of the need to uh, ensure that they are better prepared too. So I think that this has been a huge wake-up call. And I don't think only for us in the Caribbean, but I think broadly, globally, um, of the type of planning that is needed. Um, and I think, you know, this is only the uh, the crisis management, I look at crisis management plan, but just through our discussions with many of the countries or your member states um, in the region, it's evident that many have begun to understand that their current master plans um, are will need to be updated, that those two, like these crisis management plans, were developed in a very different period. And while it's only nine weeks later, life has changed so profoundly that those plans need to be updated to provide the relevant and more useful type of guidance uh, looking into the future. But we can say the good thing is the a very large majority of them do have a plan and a large percentage of that majority found the plan in its entirety or at least in parts somewhat useful. Absolutely, that is correct. Okay, you, you also so discovered, you were suggesting, you know, in terms of during the crisis, the operations during the crisis, some pretty interesting findings. Um, first of all, you, you did some additional research in addition to the survey uh, in terms of the use of websites and, and, and so on. What did you find out? Okay, so, um, you know, we've, we looked at different areas of operation. So we looked at overall, uh, for instance, uh, what their priorities were, um, because in such a you know, in, in such a dark, during such a dark period, just understanding what it is that our national tourism organizations prioritize gives us some insights, right, into where we are today and what is needed, um, if anything, uh, for, for the future. We um, also spend a lot of time understanding marketing efforts here, um, you know, a lot of what our national tourism organizations, or at least a part of it, an important part is, is staying front of mind um, in key source markets and attracting all those tourists or lovely places. And so we, um, we, we, had, we have some good insights there too for marketing. Um, but we also looked deeply at the economic responses or the interventions that uh, CTO member states uh, put into play uh, to really sort of stem the fallout of COVID-19. So we have insights um, in that area as well. Um, but from the more sort of strategic level, looking at what their top priorities were, 
Um, this is how the, um, yeah, the 14 countries that responded um, to the survey, um, here's what they said their priorities were. Um, top of that list was health and safety of their employees. So really ensuring that their operations weren't compromised and that they were ready to continue to serve. Uh, their communities during um, the global pandemic um, and planning for the future. Um, second was a big focus on economic support to tourism businesses and tourism workers and um, their excellent sort of um, initiatives, good initiatives that we have seen um, about this that really support that um, that statement of theirs that they've prioritized this and we can talk about some of those good practices a little later. Um, and the ter third important priority was that of communicating um, and keeping their stakeholders and partners informed during this period. So those were the three things and those make a lot of sense, right? Um, but this like big focus on economic support to tourism business and tourism workers, one of the things we also we're trying to understand is to what extent were our national tourism organizations in the Caribbean really um, involved in crafting the kind of governmental um, responses that we've seen um, to sort of stem the fallout. And it's interesting because um, in that regard, 60% of all the respondents, these are about nine countries, indicated that they were involved to a great extent um, in involving, sorry, in developing the economic responses to the pandemic. Um, and then another 27% said that they were involved to a moderate extent. So, the majority of respondents said, hey, we played um, an important role in, um, in, in being a part of that team that, you know, at a national level worked to consider how to respond to the pandemic. And because of that, then there were programs that were specifically geared to tourism uh, workers and tourism businesses and we have some excellent sort of good initiatives that um, that come to mind as well um, from what are some of those sure um, so in, in that regard uh, you know I'll, I'll pull on Jamaica um, not for any other reason that they're just uh, come immediately to mind um, some of the things that Jamaica has done that specifically um, related to, to the tourism sector, right? Because like there are a lot of like economic responses that government put forward generally that covered tourism. But in Jamaica, for instance, um, they were providing uh, um, training, free training to all tourism workers uh, out of a job. Uh, they were one of the first uh, to offer that. Um, a few other countries then sort of followed suit, but that was like something real interesting. Um, they also um, implemented sort of a six-month moratorium on the payment of licenses and other fees associated to the tourism sector, understanding that operators 
that everything's halted. Um, that was something that they immediately also um, put out there. And then like in other cases, but this was a program specific to tourism, they uh, had what they call the business employee support and transfer. So these were, this is a cash initiative, it's temporary cash transfers, but um, their program was uh, designed for hotels tours and the attraction segment of the industry. And so like to qualify, um, your business needed to be registered with the Jamaica Hotel and uh, Tourist Association. And then there were um, very clear thresholds set um, of what you would get and how government would transfer those funds. Um, but what it speaks to is that, you know, there, there was clear recognition of the importance of the sector. Um, as an economic driver, and there were very specific programs designed. So Jamaica had a very sort of holistic approach um, and very quick response to that. So that's like one that comes to mind. I'd like to touch a bit too on, on what you found in terms of marketing. It, it seems as though uh, many of them had their marketing budgets remain as they'd been previously, so hadn't been cut although some of them did have, were affected by that and, and the budgets were cut, but what did you find and, and, and what was interesting in the dynamics there? Sure, um, so uh, it's while many of the um, respondents had impacts to their overall budget. So for instance, 53% um, of respondents confirmed that they have had to reduce reduce their overall organizational budgets. Um, so while that occurred from a marketing standpoint, 53% um, of respondents noted um, that they have reduced marketing spend. This doesn't mean a cut to the budget. It just means that, you know, they weren't spending dollars during this period. Um, but I think it's very telling um, that, you know, things occurred there there was immediate an immediate response from an operational standpoint the overall budgets were cut so you could guess that some of that also um was felt um within marketing um and uh, of the 53 percent of respondents that noted um that they have reduced marketing spend um there was uh um an almost uh, similar amount, 47%, that noted that while they have not reduced their marketing spend, they have reallocated resources among sort of existing and or new strategies, which shows that, okay, um, where they didn't reduce, we're looking to just uh, make sure that we are pivoting and that we are um, really looking at those areas that make the most sense to look at, um, which is maybe um, shifting even more so to like the online space and coming up with new strategies in that area. Um, so that was um, very interesting. Now, um, of those, uh, there were eight countries um, that said uh, that they did reduce their marketing spend. Um, what was interesting was that 
50% of those respondents said that they have had to cut or reduce spend by 26 to 50%, which is very significant, right? Um, so it's very interesting how that is playing out. Now, um, in terms of um, how they are using the marketing dollars during this period, most of it is dedicated to online marketing. And so social media in particular, that trumps everything else, but many of the, um, the, the marketing boards, um, the tourism boards are also focused on updating their websites, on um, content marketing, um, and even SEO like improving their SEOs. So those are some of the areas that uh, they're most involved in. Now, they also gave us some insights about what their priorities are. Like what is it that they are most focused on um, during the pandemic? And the number one priority was maintaining brand presence. So um, to that point, um, we were tracking, as you mentioned, um, from when this happened uh, early in April, we did e extensive content analysis. We looked at all social media channels. We looked at websites of all your 24 member states. And um, bi-weekly, we're checking to see what those changes were occurring um, on all these different channels um, for all member states. and. Um, countries in the greater Caribbean. So in total, we did the tracking for like 43 countries. And it was very interesting because in early April, when, when we started the exercise, um, there were about 65% of all your member uh, states that um, had or started to use like simple hashtags, right? Um, and that increased to about 81% between April and early May. So over the course of like four weeks, there was a huge response increase. So it just showed that, you know, the tourism boards were really on it um, and um, really looking to figure out what, what to do. And so you could see that response increase from 65 to 81% um, over about a four week period. And, um, and, and, and critically that, compared in, in, when you compared to other regions were you able to do that in terms of during that period the use of websites hashtags and so on and what other regions were doing yes so when we looked at the difference between like performance of like cto member states versus uh, countries in the greater Caribbean, there was a pronounced difference. So CTO member states were very much, um, much more attentive, much more responsive, moving from 65%, having like simple hashtags in early April to 81% in um, early May. And that percentage for the greater Caribbean was much lower. It was 51%. Uh, at the start of April, um, and it moved to about 63% by early May. So it just shows... Should I, should, should I, should I then take this opportunity to pat our, ourselves on the back a little <laughs> no, bit? No, I think, yes, say, absolutely, you know, yes. Right? 
Yes, no, I think this is why, you know, these insights are important because it really demonstrates those areas where we're perform, uh, performing strongly in. Um, and I think, yeah, we should give kudos where it's deserved. And so, yeah, and that's just simple hashtags. One of the other interesting things that we found is that there was a quick evolution from simple hashtags to more organized um, online campaigns. So that grew and uh, shifted very early on. There were just a few of your member states, about 40% that um, had uh, you know, different types of campaigns. Um, uh, I think of Antigua as one of the early ones. And that sort of increased to 81% by early May. So right now, um, nearly all your uh, CTO member states um, have these types of campaigns. Yeah, you think of um, uh, Belize's, like their Belize the digital postcard contest, you know, so now, now a lot of the countries are offering trips where initially it was more like keeping top of mind only, inspiring travel when, when, when it's a good time to do so. Um, it's moved now. And so we see that the tourism boards are um, much more, um, they're a little bit more bold now in their response in terms of like offering trips. So Belize was, uh, is one, one such example with their Dare Belize dig digital postcard contest. Um, and yeah, um, there are so many, Curaçao is another one as well that has a contest for a trip um, to Curaçao and the list goes on, right? But those are just some examples of um, what the tourism boards um, are in fact doing, which really demonstrate a high level of responsiveness. Wrap up soon, but I, I want to touch um, on one or two quick things here. One, in terms of their recovery plans, you found out that for the most part, they do have recovery plans, don't they? And, and that for the tourism sector, maintaining brand presence continues to be important, maintaining connection with former visitors, relationships with travel trade and partners, and providing updates in order of priority, some of these key things as part of the plans. Um, but how do they look forward to, to, to getting this done? Yeah, very good question. Um, so it's important to note that um, 26% of all respondents said that their recovery plan is done. It's completed. You know, they have a solid draft that they're um, already working to implement. Um, the larger percentage, though, which is 47%, indicated that they have their plan um, complete to a great extent. It's not fully done, but they're well advanced, um, which is a good thing. And then there's another like 13% that said we're kind of halfway there, you know, moderately complete. Um, so everyone um, has action. Everyone's really um, kicking into high gear. Um, now, um, it's interesting because like one of the insights that we um, were able to glean about how they're going about that is, well, if you think about how enormous the impacts are to um, our industries in the Caribbean or to the sectors in the Caribbean, it's just tremendous, right? And so 
um, really looking for creative ways to access the funding that may be needed um, to continue with some of the economic uh, measures that they uh, have put in place. So what is interesting to know is that as things are beginning to open up, you know, the countries have started, some of the countries have started to um, announce what we're thinking about July or June. Um, it's interesting that a lot of the uh, short-term economic measures that were put in place to really sort of uh, reduce the um, economic fallout are expiring um, very soon. So many of them are coming to, they're, you know, they range between three and six months. Um, and so they're expiring by the end of summer. So between July and August. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how these um, efforts are either replenished or replaced with bigger, bolder plans, because it's clear that tourism businesses will continue to need support through this. Um, and there are some real interesting examples of what some um, you know, what some countries have begun to do to kind of um, incentivize uh, um, new thinking. So if you think of tourism product, for instance, uh, there's a huge need to not only abide by like the new protocols uh, for, for health and sanitation, um, and that has uh, that's that will change so much of how we go about business as usual. But beyond that, you know, there might be opportunities uh, to enhance resilience right now too. You know, through e-commerce, because if there's a second or third wave um, of this coming at us, as you know, public health officials globally have signaled, then these national tourism organizations are having to think about, well, how do we enhance the resilience of our companies? Because if these measures are expiring by the end of summer and we have a second and third wave, how are we going to deal with that? You know? And so one of the things that we've we begun to see in like the comments that many of these and national tourism organizations noted is that they're really starting to think about the important role of technology and integration of technology throughout the supply chain. So thinking of like, well, how can technology help us to really um, deal with the logistics that will be needed to move people to places, to our attractions and sites, and do so safely, for instance? How can we use technology to think about um, new products and virtual products so that we have robust virtual experiences just as we have uh, new safe experiences if visitors come to us you know so that's like a lot of like the um, new thinking that is occurring Johnson which I think is quite inspiring and and in terms of as, as you talked about the economic support but as uh, we want to wrap it up there uh, you, you found something quite interesting that uh, only seven percent of the CTO member countries and the greater Caribbean implemented price caps on basic consumption goods. And you, you're suggesting that this might be something that other 
countries and regions might want to adopt if they're facing similar situations? Absolutely, especially if there's like a second and third wave um, in which our governments and our national tourism organizations as part of like the larger national governmental response may need to look at. So that's one example. There were many other sort of suggestions too, but that definitely was one of the areas that, that I think um, could be improved uh, regionally to provide not just like tourism sector, but just more widely our communities, the support that they need to get through any sort of um, future wrongs. Um, coming back to like this whole topic of sustainability, which is, you know, if you think about it, you know, how do we uh, sustain resilience and sustainability are so critical um, to ensuring that we can get through uh, these next few months and perhaps even year, year and a half of things being uh, quite different still. Um, and one of the things that we looked at in the recovery planning process was to what extent are these national tourism organizations really looking to identify resources across all government agencies? You know, it's really be innovative, try to figure out how do we fund some of these bigger things. Um, and it's interesting that the large, um, the 40% 40, 40 of all the respondents said that they have been working moderately to identify these resources. So um, that is happening, but not at the extent that it should. So that's what this is saying. And then to the point of to what extent do they foresee integrating sustainability practices or initiatives into their recovery planning, 67% said that they feel that they would do so to a great extent. And another 20% said that sustainability would be a central focus of their recovery plans. So I think that gives us a lot of hope, right? Certainly. Thank you so very much, Selene. And I know the work has only just begun. No, my great pleasure, Johnson, to bring these insights. And to close off, I just want to mention that all this great work was made possible by a dynamic team of graduate students from the George Washington University's Master of Tourism Administration program. And I'd just like to shout them out because they've done stellar work, you know, as a team, Taylor Ruoff, Daniel Lewis-Jones, Jacqueline uh, Joes and Cecilia Yi. So thank you so much for having us. Um, and it's been a great pleasure sharing all these insights. Brilliant. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye.